In his book, What Keeps You Up at Tonight, Pastor Pete Wilson observes that many years ago, there was no universal standard for tuning musical instruments. So, so what that meant was that every musician just set their, their note according to personal preference. <laughs> the problem was, when musicians gathered to play together, often the results were musically catastrophic. You know that's not true today. If you go to a concert, you will note that one person will send, send an instrument and all the other instruments will tune according to that. It doesn't matter if you're listening to Nashville Country or the London Philharmonic. All instruments are tuned to a universal standard. All instruments calibrated accordingly. And it strikes me that, that what is true musically is also true in the spiritual, where our lives too easily get out of, out of tune because the standard set is often who we listen to and according to personal preference, where what's valued is determined by the loudest or the most famous or the most prominent that we see. It's determined by the things owned or the position earned or the, the people we've met. And so, tuned to this, we often run after these things, hoping that these things will make our lives somehow significant, somehow better. That if we have what they have and do what they do, that life will be good. And commenting on this, uh, Pastor Wilson also observes this, that we've placed ourselves, our challenges, our desires, our hopes, our plans, our anxieties in the foreground. And that, he says, automatically puts God in the background. And as long as God is in the background, the, the things that we chase, the hope and the meaning that we hope to gain, will always come up empty because Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is where understanding is. We're told that in Proverbs 9, verse 10. And that is to say that our, our meaning and hope can only be found in God, found as we understand the, the greatness of who He is, that, that He is far above any image that we imagine and every speculation that we can have. He's far above all of those things. And, and so no wonder the things that we chase on our terms, they, they can never give us the meaning we want to. They can never give us the hope. And the fabulous news of this is this, that, that God, that God who gives understanding is the God that wants relationship with us. He is the one who says that he loves us. And it's in that that Scripture says, place your hope there. Place your hope in him. But the question for all of us is, is how do we make sense of that and stay anchored in what his truth is when everything around us speaks so differently that we're called to tune our lives according to different things? And to explore this and continue to explore the, the theme of hope, I want to go to a scripture that is, lives in many respects in a world something like ours that's calibrated to values and beliefs very different from the tuning that God sets out for us. And in that world, there are a few that march very much out of step. The reality of those around hopeless, the divide between 
what they had been commanded to do and the choice that they knew they must do. And the story is given us in Daniel chapter 3. The, familiar, the story is familiar to you. Let's pick it up and read. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judge, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province to attend the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this group and all the rulers of the province assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up. And then they stood before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had placed before them. Okay, let's freeze frame the story for a sec and do some, some background and, and understand how the place that hope was put on permanent disconnect. And the first thing we under, need to understand is the power and the scope of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Later in Daniel, we are told that the Babylonian Empire was an empire greater than any others. Her glory was greater, her, her beauty was extraordinary, her influence was unmatched. And the architect of all this? Nebuchadnezzar. But in order for Nebuchadnezzar to build, he, he first did much to destroy. He would go into a nation and conquer it and destroy everything that remained. He would remove the walls. He would tear them down. He'd burn the pillars. He would remove the temple walls, stone upon stone. He would, he would rip everything up. And that was the physical that Nebuchadnezzar did. But the emotional went one step further. Because he would loot and then destroy. He would leave nothing of worth behind. Nothing that spoke anything of return. And the message he wanted to give was, was quite simple. That everything you've counted on, everything that you valued, everything is destroyed. There's nothing left to find. And that meant their futures now were totally dependent on the one who was their captor. And to underscore how cruel and bad the situation was, how hopeless it was, he gives his captives a cruel demonstration of his power. As he slaughters Israel's king, Zedekiah, he slaughters his sons in front of him. And then, to underscore the issue even more, he gouges out King Zedekiah's eyes and then marches he and the fellow captives to Israel. And if you want a picture of hopelessness, this was completely it. Doing what hopelessness does, blinding us to to any hope of a future and destroying the foundations on everything on which we thought our life was based, stone by stone, and just leaving us with rubble. Leaving us with, with messages that say that you're just captive to circumstance and lost dreams. You're a captivity that no one saw coming. And only days before, they, they never imagined life could go this way. Life was good, businesses were flourishing, the drinking and celebration, wild and loud. And then, it all went south. Going from loud party to lights out shutdown. Not a whole lot different than never would be, never would be conquered, never would be destroyed. Businesses that were rock solid 
all of a sudden going under under an evasion of COVID. They never saw it coming. We never could have imagined such a thing could happen. But that's the way hopelessness works. So that's some of the, something of the emotional context as we come into chapter 3. And now, for some time, the captives have been, have been made to fit in. Fitting in to their new home with new fo- food and new languages and new customs. Just like frogs in slowly heated water. And then, in the context of this, then the waters turn to full boil. Because now, Nebuchadnezzar had given a different thing, that you are now not only supposed to take on the customs of the new world, you're now to take on the, the new worship of, the, of your captor. And in that, messaging out the, the God that you thought would protect you, the God that would look after you, the God that you depended on, he, he stands impotent against the power and to, to make that abundantly clear, it says that he erects before them an immense God, a God that is 30 meters high, it is nine, three, three meters wide, and it is nine stories high. It is an immense, immense image. A God that is declaring the glory and the power of Babylon for all to see. And in scope, incredibly impressive. As we're told, it's gold, but, but we have nothing that gives us any impression that it's just gold in color. It, it is gold, incomparable wealth, led by a man of incomparable power. And as verses 1 to 3 in the story give us, as we've got the picture of it, he calls all the po- people of power and influence, the judges, the magistrates, the politicians, the governors, he calls all of them, those who thought themselves so powerful, that they are all going to unify and to come. Those that were Babylonian by birth and those that were, had become Babylonian in name because they've been brought in from the captive areas. And they were called to come and bow before the statue that was erected in the plains of Dura. And it's a location that was probably chosen because it would stand among the flatlands that everyone would see the prominence of what this God, this nation, had been able to accomplish. Her her glory would be surpassed by none, her radiance to which none could compare. And being gold, as the sun would shine, the reflection would go out to all areas, and in the dark, the silhouette would be unmistakable. It's where the powerful are brought, and as powerful as they think themselves, they would be brought low. And these images tell us a lot about hopelessness that the things that steal hope are often immense things that come into our life, things that were unexpected, things that we couldn't have imagined standing, standing large, things that can't be wished away, things that can't be talked away. Their existence just can't be denied. They, they can't be sort of minimized in any way. And the truth is, sometimes the things that we face, they're impossible to ignore. The pain is too intense. The, the wounding that's been done to us, the loss that's too heavy to carry. A disappointment that's too painful to admit. And even if we try to look away, they, they shine life large. That hard, hard to grasp hold of hope. 
not when all these are visible and standing large in our lives. They always demand attention. They never go away. Reminding us that you and I have no answer for these. And specifically in the situation that we just read, they are conquered people, once powerful in their own right, but now their loyalties are given over to another. And verse 4 tells us that the people have come from every nation and every kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar keeping the beautiful and the best, re-educating them and reculturing them in new, with new customs and new habits and new gods, which meant everything old that was just dead. Capitulation was complete. You are now mine. The hope was gone. Now they were being told to fit in, demanded to fit in, to, to adopt the customs of those around because the customs around were squeezing in so tight. And Israel was good of that, which actually isn't good, because they'd been living that way for a long time, even before they got to Babylon. Their faith was more ritual than reality. Their God had become just a go-through-it-motions influence and power in their lives. Sometimes, how we allow God to be in our lives that we say that he is our Lord, but we actually don't give him the throne of lordship. We, we, we turn to him after we've turned this way and that way and this plan and our plan, and, and then, oh, I better pray about this. Whereas he's called to be Lord. And they had what Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 3, 5, that they had a form of godliness, living as if all were well, believing that the things they had invested in were working for them. But in truth, they were a people without hope. And because of that, God allowed the people to be taken into a dark place, conquered by dark things. And the truth of it is that sometimes God will allow the dark for us to stop, for us to consider, mm, is my life calibrated to the wrong things? Have I allowed other things to, to push in and take center stage? Even th some things that are good, in, in things that, have, that are good in and of themselves, but we've given them a priority and a pursuit that God didn't intend that we devote our times to the securities that we establish and the places that we value, places that can be good like family and all the activities around that, not bad in themselves, but the question is when, when God takes a back seat, a background seat rather than the place he asks, then we understand that sometimes God will allow a dark place. That's not always why we walk into dark places but we need to be aware, could this be why God is allowing this? And among this group, there were a few that refused to go where others were going. And verse 12 tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were rulers of a pro in a prominent part of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, meaning they had power and influence. These weren't just sort of young men. These were men of, of influence. But here, where they thought they might have had the protection of power and influence, even they we're called to decide. You tune your life to that around or 
you remain true to the Lord God Almighty. Verse 4, a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And imagine being one of the three. The pressure would be immense. Their, their fate was abundantly clear if they refused to comply. And at the first note of the music, everyone around them hitting, hitting the dust, bowing down. And you and two friends still standing. Perhaps a few just tugging at your things. Just, just bow. Just, just, just comply. Just get it over. You can believe what you want to believe in private. And once this is done, just get on with your life. Bow and then get on with your life again. They, they could easily justify getting out of the, out of the situation. Because, after all, hadn't, hadn't they been tested enough and proven themselves to God enough, faithful when others weren't? Just, just, just go along. But God's call for us in times, even when hopelessness seems to weigh heavy, heaviest on us, is a call to faithfulness. A faithfulness to hope in the one who says he will always be present with us, even in the times of darkness, even in the things that we don't understand, even the things that we don't see. And in that, to step and to trust even when we don't know where that step will take us. And holding to this, these three stood, knowing that they weren't about to do what others around them were doing. Because bowing to other gods is what had gotten to this place of captivity in the first place. Israel had abandoned God, and now God decided, okay, I'm going to give you physically what you've done spiritually. You've walked away from me, and now you will walk away from my presence. You'll walk away from my, my power. But these three, they rem- remained people that God said, I will protect, I will bless, I will keep. And in his time, giving the, God giving them what they could never imagine. Does God always do that? Not necessarily in the way that we might like. But he has always said, I, I will be one that provides for you. I will be one that is present with you. People that may have been helpless at the time, but they weren't hopeless. Helpless says that I don't have the resource to deal with this. Hopeless says I will never have the resource. And yet God says, no. You may not see me in the present, but I am there. I will be your strength, come what may. And they would have heard the stories in the past. They would have heard the stories as young Jews of a baby's deliverance from from the waters of the Nile. They would have heard the miraculous water-parting deliverance of from the Egyptian army. They would have heard the the victories of a Joshua crashing down a wall or a a crumbling uh, Elijah calling down fire from heaven. But they had never heard of a story of God delivering from fire. And that's the situation that was before them. 
The story goes on, and therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, every kind of music, people of every nation fell down and worshipped the gold statue. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sounds of the musical instruments uh, must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And there are some Jews that you've appointed uh, who have ignored you the king. They don't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. The picture we get, and later, is that Nebuchadnezzar, when he hears this, he says he is inflamed with rage, but we get a picture that obviously, in some ways, these three had a place of of importance or value that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had given, because he gives them the chance for a do-over. He gives them the chance of, listen, we'll do it again, but this time you need to bow. You need to reconsider what you're, you're doing. But the three understood that what was facing them was a matter of worship. Who do our hearts belong to? When hopelessness comes, it may come in a variety of forms in our lives, but the question always behind the, the situation is this. Beyond the situation, who is God in your life? Am I God if, if the circumstance work out exactly as I want? Or am I God because I'm the Lord? That, that I will care for you, I will protect you, I'll, but it may not come in the way that you and I might like. And knowing what potentially befell these, these three men, they make some of, the, some of the most important, incredible statements of faith anywhere in Scripture. They say this, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we don't need to give you an answer to this question. That's quite a statement in of itself. This is what they're saying to the king, the most mighty in all the world. We don't need to answer you, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> we don't have to speak to you and give you a comment. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as kings to know, as king to know, that we will not serve your God or worship the gold statue you set up. It's an amazing, in-your-face confrontation uh, of the king their declaration that they would stand in the better, that they serve one better than our circumstance, than, our, than the things that come out upon us, that, that even though I don't understand, I know there's one better that says, I have a plan for you, I have a purpose for you, I will look after you, you're my child, I know you by name. They stood in the better. They're standing in faith. They were helpless, perhaps, hopeless, not in the least. Their faith, not in how, how God must answer, but the faith that God was the God of all answers. He was the Lord. He was the one that Romans fifteen thirteen tells us that he is the God of hope. And so their answer, whatever answers come, he is the God we serve. Not your gods, not your statue, statue not you, 
Our hope is in God. And that statement made in the face of the terrifying, reigniting the king's anger, the king filled with rage, his rule challenged, his pride attacked, and anything irrational about the king just fled. It was now gone, because now as he demands, Nebuchadnezzar says that they are to be thrown into uh, an intense fire, which sometimes is a good reminder that that obeying God and following God, even in the times that we don't understand, it doesn't always mean smooth paths and immediate understandable answers. The command went out from Nebuchadnezzar. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. He commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of a blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of the fire. And so the fire was so intense, raging, that it killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men fell bound into the blazing fire. It's interesting, these men acknowledged the king's human authority. They didn't question that. You are king. But they would not acknowledge his authority over their lives. We're surrounded in a world right now that wants to speak different values, values that are very contrary to what Scripture teaches. We, we have a whole lot of different things that the political, the political agendas drive certain values and certain perspectives that, that would quest, call into question things that the Lord has said. That, that, this is truth. Things that come before us. And in those places that we are to be representatives of Jesus, but who speak grace, but also live in truth. He was their earthly king, but their spiritual king, that belonged to another. And said, they said it, not in some place of a university classroom making declarations, not in some comfort of a home, but they said it bound up, tied up, in face in the face of a fire that was intensely hot, that they would obey God, whatever would come. And we read the end of the story, so we know where it's going. But the truth of the matter is, think of the terror, think, but, and the courage of these men to say, we will stand for faith. We will stand that we believe God is the Lord. And I don't know where this finds you this morning, but I do know that there will be times in our lives where hope is hard to find. That the things we walk through, they make no sense at all. Instead, they're just one big mess. One thing that we can't sort out. There doesn't appear to be one thing that's redemptive about it. Nothing that we can understand to be learned. Nothing that can be changed. And in the middle of that mess, God said, but I'm present. I'm present to hold. I'm present to care, transform, and Sometimes, sometimes I'm present to change, but, but I'm not always going to change what you think needs to be changed. Helpless? Yeah. Who calls us to turn to God? Hopeless? Never. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to the advisors, didn't we throw three men bound in the fire? Yeah, of course, your majesty, they replied. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the sons of the gods. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the, for, the door of the uh, furnace of blazing fire and, and called, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High, come out. So they came out of the fire. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. So as we look at the story and as we think of the question of hope, what are we to know as Christians? What is our hope? I want to suggest four things, and yet there are many more that could be said. And the first is that we have been given a hope that stands secure. Because we've been given the hope that in Jesus Christ we have the certain hope that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be held not guilty, that we can know that we are going to live eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ because of the cross of Jesus. And there's a voice that comes against that and says, you can't believe that. God just hasn't come through for you. A voice that wants to keep us inescapably captive, hopelessly overwhelmed. And the call of the cross is this. You've been made completely new. You've been forgiven. And as Romans 8 tells us, there is no condemnation, none, no guilt declaration on you for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first one, hope, is that we've been forgiven. We've been made new. Not always our situations, but our destiny and our standing before God. The second is this, and it's the certain hope that God's God does not only redeem, he draws near, that his love is always with us, that my current situation is not my forever situation. It says in Scripture, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from the holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear. Though tens of thousands assail me on every side, the psalmist saying it in Psalm 3, things will come in, but Lord, I cling to you, sometimes by fingernail faith, but I know you're true. I know that I don't have to hold you because you hold me in the times when hope seems so dire. Or as Isaiah 43 says, verse 1, don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Hope that you know God's presence is near. Hope that you may know that you've been forgiven by him. The third, that you may hope that God's promises that are true. That he says, I'm the provider of, of your needs. <laughs> do, the, do the birds uh, need to worry about what they're provided with? Do the flowers need to worry about how they're arrayed? No, if I could look after them, I can look after you, and I will. He says that I'm your ever-present help in times of trouble, that, that he is our peace that passes that is beyond any of our understanding. He's all of that because he's our father. He's our daddy. 
He, he's the one that we don't have to act as altogether adults. We can act just as child, children falling into his arms. And the fourth, and much more can be said, he is our certain hope for all eternity. Ephesians, or 1 Peter tells us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day, what you hope for now, what you see only in a mere darkly, one day you will see in full revelation of the appearance of Jesus Christ. He is coming again and he will make all things right. The difficulties that we face now, they will be forgotten in the glory, the overwhelming joy of who he is and what he has for us. That he is the one who says, recalibrate your perspective, recalibrate your life, retune it, set it in tune again to the God that says, I am the one who went to a cross that you may know hope. And your hope is that you are a born again child of God. So, in all that, stand tall. Because Nebuchadnezzar actually was right. There is no God able to deliver like this. Only Jesus. May you know him as the God who saves, who forgives, who draws near, who's the one whose promise is true, and the one that says, you will live with me forever because I'm coming again with the revelation of Jesus Christ and you can come with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are true. Your word is certain. And Lord, we would pray right now specifically that for those that have never come to hope in you, that, that they just know about you, but Lord, I pray that they may fall down and say that they are a sinner who you've come to forgive and call your child. And Lord, we would also pray for those that are walking through dark places and they're having a hard place. They know you, but the darkness is just oppressive. Lord, we pray that they may know that you are the God of presence and the God of truth and promise. We pray that you will come alongside them in a special way and we pray that in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.